We're in the book of Proverbs for one more week, Lord willing, so if you turn to Proverbs chapter 1 with me. This morning we're focusing really on parents and, and their role in imparting wisdom to their children, but these principles apply to various areas of life, and all of us, I believe, have the responsibility to pray for families, to pray for children, to serve children in various capacities, and so I hope that even if you're not a, a parent this morning, or you don't have children at home, you find these principles applicable to your life as well. And so if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, Proverbs chapter 1, looking at verses 10 through 19, continuing in Proverbs chapter 1, as we see these words of a father to his son. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious good. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a ned spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You may be seated. May God strengthen and encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, Thank you for how we can know and and love you through it. I pray for our children this morning. Help us to know how to encourage and and strengthen them in you. And we pray for those of us who are parents for a special blessing of your grace on us as we seek to be good stewards of the children to whom you've entrusted. And, And pray for all of us as we care for these, uh, these little ones. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> a question that I, I've had as I've, I've thought about this passage and kind of read some things this week, a, a question that's kind of come to the forefront of my mind again is, uh, how influential are parents, really? We do a lot of things as parents designed to influence our children and the decisions they make and and what they do. But at the end of the day, how influential are we really? And it's a question, actually, that's asked in a book called Freakonomics, kind of a quirky book from several years ago by two guys named uh, Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. And these guys asked the question in one of the chapters, how influential are parents? And their conclusion is that parents aren't as influential as they might think they are. For example, they talk about some test scores that students uh, received after taking a test, and they kind of analyzed all these students who were taking these tests, and they found that things that we might think be, would be influential in helping children do well at tests weren't that influential. So things like uh, how, uh, how often the parents read to their children didn't influence the results of these tests, uh, how... Uh, how many museums the parents took them to, or, or whether or not the parents had moved to a better neighborhood to help their children. All those things you would think, as a parent, I'm, I'm doing these things for my children to, to influence them and help them do better academically, really, according to, to, to some of these studies, didn't do that much 
didn't do anything. Weren't factors that correlated with better test scores. In the chapter, they also talk about a survey that was done with some adoptive families. And this is their conclusion. They found that the parents, the adoptive parents' advantages in life had little bearing on the child's school performance. And so these, these children that were adopted by these parents, they thought, well, maybe these children, these better homes will do better in school. And they found that, no, that wasn't the case. What they did find, however, is that later in life, the parents' life and lifestyle was influential on children. The study went on and said that adopted children, as they became adults, veered sharply from the destiny that IQ alone might have predicted. Compared to similar children who were not put up for adoption, the adoptees were far more likely to attend college, to have a well-paid job, to wait until they were out of their teens before getting married. It was the influence of the adoptive parents that made the difference. Now, I don't know how true all of these studies are, and I'm sure that you could find some studies that would suggest some, some things otherwise, but here's kind of what I went away from this chapter and, and thinking about the things in the book of Proverbs, kind of thinking about. First of all, we as parents are less influential than we think in some areas of our children's lives. I mean, our family, I don't know if you guys are like this too, we kind of stress about what extracurricular activities are we going to let our children do? Are we going to scrimp and get the money together for them to do things like piano lessons or gymnastics or whatever else that they, they want to do? What, what do we put them in and how do we, you know, make sure that they're going to, to be as smart as they possibly can be and all these things? And, and what I think may be true is that... <laughs> God in his sovereignty has already decided a lot about how my children are going to turn out in some ways. When it comes to their intellectual capacity, there are some decisions that God has made for us. When it comes to their personality, God has sovereignly decided some things about their personality. I mean, it's amazing to me how from such early ages my children have have displayed their individual personalities and their distinctiveness as, as human beings, and at their core, they kind of are who they are going to be, and, and my influence as a parent is minimal in, able to, in, in my ability to change who they are at their core in terms of, of personality, right? And those of you who are parents of children of a certain age have probably come to that realization sooner than I did, and that's okay, right? So often the things that we want to influence our children are and maybe aren't as important as we think they are. They might be idols of our own hearts and, and not the most important things. So that's one conclusion I've come to is that I don't think I'm as influential in some areas of my child's life as I might have thought. But another conclusion I've come to is I've looked at Proverbs chapter 1 and is I am influential perhaps in the most important ways. We've been talking in the book of Proverbs about wisdom, and we've defined wisdom as living life in fear of God, coming to a situation in life and saying, okay, uh, here's this situation, I'm going to live in fear of God, I'm going to live in a wise way, and so whatever situation I find myself in, I'm going to live in a way that pleases God. When it comes to parenting, my job as a parent is to train a child to know and fear God and to live in such a way that, that God is honored. And so I, I really, at the end of the day, I think have little influence on 
what type of person my child becomes personality-wise and, and what their enjoyment in life is. And so uh, my child may decide that they want to become a, a computer programmer or a teacher or a technician or an engineer or, or any of these things. And, you know, my ability to, to shape what they, they are drawn to in life in those areas is, is, at the end of the day, it might be kind of minimal. But what I can do as a parent, and here's what I think is happening in Proverbs chapter 1, is I can shape the type of computer programmer my child becomes. I can make sure that as they, they exist in that, that arena of life in which God has, has programmed them to be, so to speak, I can help them to, to live that life wisely. To live that life as an engineer in the fear of the Lord. That's my task as a parent, to help them come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for their heart to be transformed by the gospel. And as their heart is transformed by the gospel, to be the person whom God has created them to be for the glory of God. I think that's a large part of my task as a parent. And it's a fun one, right? Let me remind you where we are here in the book of Proverbs. That the first thing that we looked at several weeks ago, principle number one, we saw that everyone needs wisdom. Everyone needs wisdom. We looked at the first six verses of Proverbs chapter one. We talked about how the person needs wisdom for discernment. The person needs to, to be able to, to have knowledge. The foolish or young person needs to have wisdom. The person who's wise needs more wisdom. We all need wisdom to be able to navigate the complexities of life. Everyone in the book of Proverbs is invited to join Club Wisdom. Okay, That's what we saw firstly. The second thing that we saw as we looked at the book of Proverbs is not only does everyone need wisdom, everyone needs to know how wisdom can be obtained. In verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as we saw 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we saw how Jesus Christ is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise for wisdom. The end of chapter 1 says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord and then first Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how we have the ability to know God's mind as we encounter various situations in life through our faith in Jesus Christ and so how do we have wisdom how can we obtain it we obtain wisdom by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ he is wisdom for us and so whatever circumstance in life we find ourselves, we can navigate the complexities of life through our faith in Jesus Christ, through these transformed hearts that allow us to live in fear of God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. The third thing that we saw a couple weeks ago was that children, children need to look to their parents to find wisdom. That was the third principle. Children should look to their parents for wisdom. We talked about what it means to, to look to your, to your parents, and maybe some of uh, the kids here felt like I didn't really have their back uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, mom and dad uh, really may have enjoyed uh, the sermon uh, last uh, several weeks ago. So, uh, but we, we looked at, at uh, verses 8 and 9 and, and talked about what hearing your parents means, and we saw how throughout the book of, of Proverbs, children are constantly called to hear and to listen. So we see it in chapter 1. You come to chapter 2, it says, If you receive my words, chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 4, verse 1, Hear, O son, a father's 
instruction, you come to chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments within you. Uh, keep my commandments and live. Chapter 8 talks about wisdom calling. Over and over again, children are called to, to listen to their parents. We talked about what listening means, right, kids? We, we said that listening doesn't mean arguing with mom and dad. Listening means taking their instruction, hearing it, processing it, thinking about what they say, and striving to apply their instruction in your life. In fact, uh, kids, if you want to win some points with uh, mom and dad this week, here's my suggestion to you. Whenever mom and dad uh, give you an instruction this week, say, uh, Mom, thank you for that. That instruction is like, well, Mom, it's like a graceful garland on my head. That is beautiful instruction like a necklace about my neck. Thank you, Mom. Mm, that's good stuff. You know. But seriously, you know, our parental instruction, it should be something that's, that's valued by those of us who are children, right, guys? Well, kids, if you felt like I didn't have your back a couple weeks ago, I've got some good news for you. I've got your back this morning, okay? It's mom and dad's time, all right? And uh, if your mom and dad are anything like me, uh, they, they are far more concerned about their ability to be good parents than your ability to be a child. I mean, they, they probably figure you are pretty good at being a child. They're not so confident about them being good parents, okay? So, in fact, uh, I was telling this to someone earlier, and I, I mentioned this in, in first service. I feel less adequate to teach on parenting every year. It's not because my children are getting worse. I mean, they're, that's a different issue. They're, they're doing fine. But I just realize how dependent I, I am on God's grace. I feel like a, a tightrope walker instructor, you know, and, and I'm, I'm instructing someone how to walk across a tightrope as we go across Niagara Falls, and we get across halfway, and the person says, how many times have you done this? And I say, well, first time, but I understand the principles. Um, you know, not all that helpful. That's how I feel sometimes when I'm teaching about parenting. Some of you are further across the Niagara Falls than I am. Uh, some of you are not quite as far, but all of us are dependent upon God's grace. And so this morning, parents, we're going to talk about this last principle from Proverbs chapter 1, that parents must teach their children how to live wisely. Parents must teach their children how to live wisely. We're going to look at three things. We're going to talk about how we as parents are diligently to pursue, how we're diligently to pursue a relationship with our children. We're going to talk about how we're to actively instruct our children in who God is. And then finally, we're going to talk about how we're to lovingly discipline. So we're diligently pursuing a relationship. We're actively instructing them in who God is and, and how to live life, and then we're lovingly correcting. Well, let's go back and let's, let's start with this first one, diligently pursuing. And we're talking about diligently pursuing a relationship. You and I must be diligently pursuing a relationship in which teaching about wisdom can take place. Now, as we talk about these three areas in which we're to be uh, pursuing in order to teach wisdom, you'll see that these things are overlapping. But pursuing relationships means I'm, I'm creating a, a, a relationship with my child in which instruction and discipline can take place. Now, what it looks like for each person to engage in a relationship might be, be different. There's some, 
some cultural things that are, are different from family to family. They're even different from generation to generation, right? I can remember talking with my dad about his relationship with his dad. And I, could, I kind of get the impression that my grandfather wasn't, as, uh, wasn't a very affectionate person, right? Didn't necessarily know how to show affection to his son. And my dad was an affectionate dad, but, but even I think my dad, like me, sometimes struggled with, okay, now how exactly do I show affection to a son? You know, I, I, I want to love him, but I don't, I don't want to become a sissy or something. And so, you know, I remember one time, uh, we, you know, at a certain age, and, and my dad uh, looked at me and said, good night, son, I love you, and I'm not going to kiss you anymore. Are you okay with that? <laughs> and, okay, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Am I supposed to be okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with a firm handshake, or no? We, we'll hug and wrestle. You know. So, how you show that you love your children? I mean, I think that looks different from culture to culture and family to family, and, and and those things are okay. But I think what has to be true of every parent-child relationship is that the child understands that there's a relationship and that you love them and that you're trying to pursue this relationship. In fact, let me just kind of give you some some biblical imagery that I think helps us understand what a parent is to do. This is some biblically, biblical imagery of, of God being compared to parents. And as we see what attributes of God are parent-like, we see what we're to be doing in that parent-child relationship. So let me just kind of read through some of these quickly. Uh, for example, Deuteronomy 32.18. Deuteronomy 32.18, Moses says, You were unmindful of the rock who bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. God compares himself as, as, as a mom who, who gives birth the source of life, and there's, there's to be this, this understanding that the parents are the source of life in a child's relationship with them. Isaiah 49, 14, Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. And God replies, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even if she did, I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Isaiah 66, 12, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Hosea 11 talks about God kind of comparing himself to a mom who, who teaches her, her child. Uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Talks about the, the disobedience of the children. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them, upon, uh, took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness. Jesus in Matthew 7 will talk about how a, a son will ask his dad for bread, and dad won't give him a stone, a, son asks for a fish, dad won't give him a serpent. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts, Jesus says to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Second Corinthians chapter 6, God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, separate from them, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. There's this relationship. We, we exist together. We live together. You're like my sons and daughters. We, we dwell together, says the Lord. 
Paul compares his ministry to the ministry of parents in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We looked at this a while ago. Verse 7, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What do we see there? There's, we could spend weeks of messages just dealing with what a parent-child relationship looks like, but what are some big things that we see? We see that a, a mom and dad are to be in a relationship with a child where the, the child understands that they are the source of life, they're a source of, of comfort, a place to find safety, that a parent is, a one, who, is one who is instructing and teaching providing not just the physical needs of life, but the, the spiritual and the, the, the mental things as well. They're, they're, they're people who, who train children up and provide for them until they become adults. There's this loving, nurturing relationship that is to exist between a parent and a child. And of course, we know how in our world that relationship often becomes distorted. Distorted in, in many ways, right? Sometimes our temptation as parents is to become overbearing. We become these, these strict disciplinarians, and, and my job is to, to discipline, and, and there's, no, there's no relationship, no nurture, no safety in that relationship. Or we want to become our, our children's friend, and so we, we have this idolatrous perception of what this relationship should look like, and we're so desperate that our children like us that, that we, we don't understand what our relationship is supposed to look like. There's supposed to be times in which the relationship with your child is damaged because your child refuses to be obedient and they need to understand that there's been a loss of relationship because of their disobedience. And a loving parent allows that to happen and brings them back into relationship through discipline and correction. Not, not a permanent loss of relationship, but understand there's, there's, there's a problem in the relationship as they're disobedient. In fact, let me suggest this to you. As we think about just relationships in general, I would suggest that many of you, even as you're adults, struggle in your relationships with parents or siblings or children because you have an idolatrous view of, of what your relationship should look like with them. Mom and dad haven't acted the way you want a mom and dad to act, and you have this view of what a mom and dad should be, and they, they haven't done that, and so you know, there's just constant sorrow in your heart as you think about that relationship, or there, you, have, you have this idea of what your children should have done, and you hear about what other children do, and, and, and you, why aren't my children uh, bringing me breakfast in bed and, uh, you know, singing to me? And Well, it's because we don't put everything on Facebook, right? Uh, there, every family has these issues, and we all have these idolatrous concepts of what family is, and I think many of us are are experiencing pain in our family relationships because of idolatrous, idolatrous expectations. But anyway, back, back to relationship. Uh, a parent who's wise says, okay, I'm, I, I want to teach my children. I understand what this relationship is supposed to look like, and I'm going to actively pursue a relationship with my child, a, a relationship in which there's warmth and nurture and instruction that can take place. How do I do that? Well, I think it begins with valuing the relationship. A parent who's going to diligently pursue a relationship with their children needs to recognize that that relationship has value. 
Solomon understands that the relationship has value and is willing to invest the time with his child to make sure these things are taught. I've told my children very clearly, I've said, you know what, you guys know that I love a lot of people. I love the people at Bethany Community Church. I love the, the people that God has allowed me to minister to, but I've told them, I said, you guys understand that there is not a single relationship that is more important to me outside the relationships of this family, beginning with your mom. No relationship with any person at the church, any relationship I have through ministry trumps my relationship with you. The contest between needs, you guys win every single time. Understanding that there's going to be times where the best thing for you is for me to be ministering to other people as well as, as you sacrifice for their benefit as well. A, a parent pursues this relationship by valuing it, by, by finding out what are the things, you know, how is it that God has constructed my child? What is it the things that, that interest her? And, and what kind of person is she? And, and how, as I, as I think about this person, this human being that God has placed in my life, how do I connect with her? What are the things that, that interest her and engage her? And, and those are the things in which I'm going to, to try to build our relationship around as I also teach her about engaging the things that, that interest other people. But I'm going to, to find out who she is or who he is and engage with her as a human being and pursue a relationship not with this, this doll or with this, 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 this puppet that I'm creating, but with a human being. I'm actively pursuing a relationship. I'm listening as much as possible. And that relationship is going to change as time progresses, and I'm going to be okay with that because that's part of God's plan as well. The way I pursue a relationship with my almost 13-year-old is much different than the way I pursue a relationship with my seven-year-old and much different than the way I pursued a relationship with them when they were one, right? And some of you know what it's like to pursue a relationship with adult children. Actively pursue, or, the, or diligently pursue, the second thing we see is that we are to actively instruct. We are to actively instruct. Look at the text with me, if you would, and we see uh, more in depth the instruction that he's given. The instruction is kind of summed up in verse 10. The dad says, look, my son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. In verses 11 through 14, build on the first part of verse 10. The first part of verse 10 is saying, if sinners entice you. And verses 11 through 14 describe the enticement that these sinners engage in. The dad, who is a wise father, doesn't dismiss the idea that sin is enticing. He doesn't say, look, I don't understand how anyone could want to do that ridiculous stuff, but some people do, don't do it. No, he says, look, I understand that there's going to be an enticement to walk down a certain road, a road marked by the pursuit of, of worldly pleasures. Verse 11, if they say, again, he's describing this enticement. This is what the enticement looks like. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious good others. We're going to engage in this activity. And yeah, it might be kind of bad, but look, we're going to get these things as a result. We're going to fill our house with good things. Throwing your lot among us will have one purse. Come join us, engage in relationship with us, and, and we're going to, to live life to the fullest. And we're going to have a grand old time together. And then in verse 15, he elaborates on the second part of verse 10. He says, don't do it. 
My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. And then he does something very important, parents. He gives theological reasons why. So often as, as parents, I think our temptation as we instruct is just to say, don't do that. Don't, don't walk in the house with those muddy shoes. Keep the snow outside. Wash your hands. This dad doesn't do that. He ties his instruction to, to, to theological concepts here. He says, because this is evil, they make haste to shed blood. And then he, he describes how foolish these people are. In, in a theological sense, I'm, I'm using this, this, this term biblically, they're very dumb. He says, look, if you laid out a net in the side of any bird, the bird wouldn't fall for it. You say, hey, bird, come jump in this net. The bird would go, yeah, I'm good, and, and fly away. He says, a bird is that smart. These guys are dumber than birds. What do they do? They set their own trap. They set out a trap for themselves and step in it. They are not that bright. They're foolish. It's a, a trap for their own souls. Verse 19 the dad ties it together. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. These guys, it, it, it ends in the destruction of their very lives, their souls. Okay, parents, based on that, let me give you some, some, some principles of instruction, five principles of instruction here. First of all, you and I have to actively teach our children about God. We have to be very aware of, of passivity in terms of instruction. We have to be actively engaged in, in telling our children about the, the person of God, who God is. If you are not training your children to know the person of God and you're just giving them rules, what are you creating? What are you creating? You're creating legalists. Legalists are people who know the rules. They can tell you how short the shorts need to be to the inch. A legalist can tell you how many buttons need to be buttoned. The legalist can tell you exactly what show you can watch and what show you can't watch. The legalist can tell you all the rules and how to follow them perfectly. What is the problem with legalism? We're talking about wisdom, right? And wisdom is the ability to navigate the complexities of life. If you teach your children about the rules and simply about the rules, you need to understand this. The world your children are going to live in is going to be a radically different world than the world you're living in right now. And if all you've done is teach your children to be little legalists, they are going to be lost in five to ten years. And instead of teaching our children just a bunch, I'm not against rules, but we start by teaching them who God is. And we say, okay, here's who God is, kids. And, and, and we're going to sit down as a family night after night, and we're going to talk about God and his word. And we're going to read a chapter of God's word together. And we're going to pray together. I'm going to actively teach you who God is. And now let's talk about the rules. The rules flow from our relationship with God. The rules don't get us to God. You act, first of all, the first principle is you must actively teach your children about God. Secondly, you must actively warn your children about sin, right? 
Solomon understands the enticement of worldly goods. The wise parent, the parent who's teaching their children about wisdom, understands, look, guys, I'm going to tell you not to do something, and I understand the enticement to do it. I'm not some person who's never conceived that sin could be pleasurable. I understand it. So if you're going to talk to your children about the the dangers of the internet, you're not going to say, you know, uh, don't ever do this, and how could you ever do this? You know what? I understand the enticement of this. I get it. Sin is pleasurable. Parents, don't lie to your children about sin not being pleasurable because they will see through that. Say, look, I understand sin is pleasurable, but let me tell you, it's pleasurable here, but it leads to this. It leads to the destruction of your soul. It leads to heartache, misery, and that's not so pleasurable. So, as we think about what we instruct, we say, okay, here's who God is. And we say, okay, and here's what sin leads to, and, and here's the dangers of it. That's what Solomon does to his, his son here. And then thirdly, you have to practically apply theology to life. As you're actively instructing, you have to apply the theology to life. And so Solomon here is talking about friendships, and he's going to talk about materialism, and he's going to talk about hard work, and he's going to talk about finances, and he's going to talk about all sorts of things in life and, and how to relate to neighbors. And he's going to actively apply theology to life. Another thing you have to do is you instruct your children is you have to engage your children in a dialogue. I think this is really important in terms of instruction. I can talk a long time. You all know that, right? I can get my children to be quiet while I talk to them and at them for a long time. But that tells me nothing That tells me nothing about what they're learning. And so my goal in instruction is to to find ways in which I can can see what their minds are processing and how their hearts are changing. I want to engage not in a a lecture with my children, but in a a dialogue that lets me know what what they're thinking. And I provide uh, safety in in them uh, sharing with me what they're struggling with. You have to encourage your children to engage in a dialogue. You have to show them, look, okay, here's what the consequences of sin are, and, and let, let, let's talk through that. And let me help, let, let's talk about the warped thinking of the world. I love how he talks about the, the net and the bird and how these people are lying in wait for their own souls and, and expose the, the fruitless worldview of, of those who deny God and his existence and his authority over their lives. Engaged in that in dialogue. One of the things that's going on in our, our family right now is, you know, my, my kid, two of my kids especially are, are, you know, they're entering a new phase of life, and so I am trying to think, like, how, how do I gauge what they're getting and what they're not getting, where they're at? And, you know, they've, they've been asking to read some books that, that before I've told them no. I've said, you know what, those books have some, kind of some mature themes, and, and now we're doing... Uh, a book club with with the kids. Okay, each kid is able to, to pick out a book and and you know within re- within reason. And it might be a book that has some some themes that are a little bit more mature that, that their friends have read. That's okay. We're going to read that together. And a- as they get older, I think they can process this worldview. I say, okay, we're going to talk about what what's what's shaping this book. What are the worldviews, and what do you think about that? And tell me why you think about that. What I'm doing as a parent is I'm trying to find ways to to 
let them interact with the world, which is going to happen in their life, and, and be there for that journey. Okay, you tell me, what, what, are you, what are you thinking about as you interact here? And let's talk about the worldview here and, and how you're processing it and how you're going to respond to it and what's, what's empty about it and where there's truth in some of the things that are being said. What are you enjoying, just even as a person, what do you enjoy about this? What excites you? What do you not like? We've got to do it, parents. It changes, of course, as our, parent, as our, as our children change. And then uh, a fifth thing here about um, actively instructing is we have to be careful not to provoke. We're engaging in age-appropriate parenting. How I, I expect a one-year-old to behave and relate to me is different than how I expect a 19-year-old to respond to me if they're still living in the home. Okay. So there's so much more we could say here, but let me move on. The last thing that we want to talk about as parents is, is how to lovingly correct. And, and just, just a few words here, not, not too much time here. We have to lovingly correct. We have to lovingly correct. Many of us struggle with this. I struggled very early on in my, my parenting with, I, th- I think, um, there was an edge, a harsh edge to my parenting. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had a kid who was in my, my youth group come, and now she's a parent, and she's talking to Whitney and I, and she goes, boy, I used to think that you were a really, really strict parent, Daniel. And she kind of told me some of the things I did. I'm like, wow, I was a pretty intense parent. Um, that's not who we want to be. But by the same token, we don't want to be parents who don't engage our children in, in correction in a loving way. You see, Solomon lays out the path here for his son. He says, okay, look, uh, this is where this leads. And what we have to understand, parents, what we have to understand, we, we must grasp this truth. We are the voices that God has put in our children's life to be that first word of caution as they begin to veer from the path of wisdom. And so as our children begin to to veer away from that path of wisdom, we are the first voice to say, no, 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 come back. Turn back. Come back to the place where God would have you be. And parents, get this. If you do not provide that word of correction, if you do not help them see the, the pain of displeasing God by experiencing the pain in displeasing you, they are in for a very hard life. And God will provide much more severe ways for them to see the pain of living a life that displeases God. We've all been in those situations where we've, we've, we've been with a parent and, and a child and we've, we've seen the tantrum, the meltdown, the angry words. And the child's no better. We've been there. We've been that parent, you know, engaged in that, that relationship with our kid. And our kid, we're in a public place, and the kid, you know, there's a tantrum and the tears. And what do I do? I think one of the most dangerous things that we can do as a parent is to allow our children to be disrespectful and disobedient and not help them see, look, as you, as you relate to me is how you're ultimately going to relate to God. And we as parents, it's easier sometimes to say, you know, I'm not going to deal with them, just kind of let them have it out, let them just kind of say no to me because I don't want as a child rebels against its parents, your, your training for them and how they respond to that 
and how you respond to that is train them how they're going, ultimately going to relate to their Heavenly Father. It's a crucial thing. There's so much we could say about the type of instruction we do. Uh, really loving discipline is, is instruction that has clear rules. It says, okay, this, this is the way that our family is, is going to live, and, 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 and these rules are biblically based, and, and even rules that aren't necessarily biblical or unbiblical, like taking off your shoes when you come in or something. You say, okay, here's why we're having these rules, because we believe that God wants us to have a, a happy home and, a, and a, an environment in which we can enjoy time together, and if, if mom and dad are having to clean up mud all the time, that's not going to be the case. We're going to have a nice home where we can practice the hospitality that God has called us to do. And so even the rules aren't necessarily chapter and verse, we're providing a biblical basis for obedience. And then as the children veer away from what God has told them to do, we're saying, okay, look, here's, here's, our, here's our correction for you, and it's designed to get you back on track here. And we're doing discipline as part of a comprehensive strategy to, to train children to know and love the Lord. It's gospel-focused. As we correct our children, we're saying, okay, here's what God's Word says, here's what you did, and here's what I'm going to do in your life to help you understand that this is not a happy way to live and to get back on the path that God has provided for you. That's what a loving parent does. It's a type of discipline that a loving parent provides. The instruction and discipline that you give is designed to help them get back on that path to recognize the pain of this path and the pleasure in the path of obedience to God. A child that, that is a thief, that steals things. The parents can say, okay, look, we're going we're to talk about where thievery leads, what Ephesians 4, for example, says about the thief. And we're going to talk about how to become a, a giver. Your discipline is going to become a giver. You're going to work hard for things, and then you're going to give them to other people. It's just an example of the type of discipline that a loving parent provides. It's, it's gospel-centered. Here's who Jesus Christ is. Here's who he's called you to put off. Here's what he's called you to put on. We're going to practice doing that. Let me, let me close with this thought. Uh, some of you parents may be feeling what I've felt this past week. There, there have been, there's been at times, as I've, I've thought about this in the last few weeks, just an oppressed, it felt almost like this, this huge weight on my soul. <laughs> let me give you the same message you need to give your children. God's grace is sufficient. God's forgiveness is is sufficient for you. Yeah, you failed as a parent. You want to feel better, go talk to my kids. You'll feel much better about your parenting. <laughs> but the gospel that your children need is, is the same good news that you need. God is a loving God, loving Father to you. You come to Him in, in your failings as a parent and say, God, forgive me. And as you begin a relationship with God, you continue it by placing your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We're not legalists. We don't come into relationship with God through simply doing enough things. We come into relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We teach that same gospel message to our children. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the good news of Your Son, Jesus. We pray that You'd cause us to live in obedience to that gospel. We pray that You'd cause our, our children to love You and to live in relationship with You as well. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.